This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill. I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we're going to talk about medical directives. What can we make? How do we make them? How do you let people know you've got them? Um, We're doing this because April 16th is National Healthcare Decisions Day. But then also everyone's got a chance of getting sick either today, tomorrow, or 10 years from now. So this may be things um, people that are on people's minds. So good. Hello, Professor Gershon. How are you today? Doing great, Liz. And in fact, you know, this is one of the things in my Wills and Estates class I make my students require them. There's a better way to put it. Uh, do an advanced health care directive because, uh, you know, the chances of becoming disabled at a young age are greater than the chances of dying at a young age. So it's very important for people to think about these issues, even not under the current circumstances. But it's great to, it's great to have Kelly Kyle on the show. He's, he's been a frequent guest and always a great guest. Kelly, would you please remind us a little bit about your background and your area of practice? Sure, Professor Gershon. Thank you for having me on. I think this is about my fourth time on, if I'm not mistaken. It seems like it always comes around this time of year. But I'm uh, always happy to be on with you and Liz. Um, I have been admitted to practice in Mississippi uh, for 28 years. I'm also admitted to practice in Louisiana as well. But for the majority of my career, I have been in a, a sort of general practice, uh, doing a, a lot of different things. But for the last 10 years or so, uh, I've been in an exclusively estate planning practice. And our main office is uh, right here in Madison. That's where I am this morning. Uh, but we serve clients all over Mississippi. We have an office down on the Gulf Coast at Diamond Head that we've had for a number of years. We have our office up in Hernando uh, that we've had for uh, six or eight years. And uh, we have an office over in North Louisiana. So I, I cover quite a lot of ground. Well, it's great to have you. And, and you know, this is we're focusing on, on health care planning today and not just in times like these, but but even beyond. We, we, we all hope that there's a beyond here, and I think we, there will be. What types of legal health care decisions should listeners be thinking about, even in so-called normal times? Well, we recommend, as you were saying, it, it's good for even younger people to have a health care directive. And, um, you know, in our firm, we like to say that we, uh, as estate planners, take care of what happens uh, after a client passes away, but we also want to uh, be sure that all the bases are covered uh, in the event of incapacity. Uh, We deal with a primarily older clientele, but not exclusively. And uh, it's like you said, really everybody needs to make these basic healthcare decisions. Everybody needs to have one or more persons that has the legal authority to act on their behalf medically uh, if they can't speak up for themselves. Uh, We also need to put in writing what our wishes are, what type of treatment we would want to receive in certain circumstances, what type of treatment would we not, uh, what would we want done when we get to that end-of-life situation, would we want our life prolonged uh, by the use of machines, by the administration of artificial nutrition and hydration. Uh, So those are all the basics that really everybody needs to take care of, and we tell people it needs to be in writing. It can't just be something that you've told someone. 
in order for it to be truly effective, it really does need to be in writing. Well, is this something that uh, someone needs to go to an attorney to have done, or can they can they get a form and do it themselves? Well, there is a form for it. Um, if you look at uh, Title 41, Chapter 41 of the Mississippi Code, uh, which is also called the uh, Uniform Health Care Decisions Act, that is a piece of legislation that was enacted back in 1998 by the Mississippi legislature. Um, the Uniform Health Care Decisions Act was authored by uh, a number of law professors and practitioners and has been adopted in uh, looks like about eight different states. Um, and it does provide a form that you can execute. Um, it, it says that in this document I am uh, giving my choice of person or persons uh, the legal authority to act on my behalf. So you can certainly get a form online, um, but frankly, we think in our practice the form that's out there is just a little bit short. Uh, if you look at it, it doesn't have anything in it about uh, HIPAA, which is a set of federal uh, medical privacy regulations. Uh, so we have added a couple of different HIPAA provisions in the form that we use in our office. And you have to be very careful in how these documents get executed as well. It should probably be executed in front of a notary. That is by far the best way uh, to ensure that it's properly executed. But if you don't have access to a notary, you can have it witnessed by two people. But you have to be very careful in choosing those witnesses. If you use a person that you are nominating in that document as a witness. Uh, it's going to be ineffective if you um, have an employee of a health care facility as a witness. Uh, it's going to be ineffective. If someone serves as a witness that would otherwise be entitled to inherit from you after your death, uh, their, their witnessing is not going to be effective. So just to be sure that you know, all of the I's are dotted, all of the T's are crossed. Uh, we recommend coming to an attorney uh, who can do one of these for you at a very reasonable price, and that way you're just you're sure that what you've done is actually going to be honored. Right. I mean, I guess the idea is that people want to make it as easy for their loved ones as possible, and if, they, if they've thought about this ahead of time, then in the un unfortunate event something happens, those those wishes can be met. And what what kind of things should people especially be thinking about right now with with COVID nineteen? Well, really, I guess it's it's the same today as it is anytime. You just want to be sure that uh, the person that you have chosen will be the one that has the ability to make medical decisions for you. Um, you know, if 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 you don't put it in writing and you now become ill. Uh, probably your next of kin is going to be the one uh, that the decision-making process is going to fall upon. That may not be what everybody would want. They may be in a relationship, maybe not married, but maybe in a relationship uh, and would want their uh, longtime partner uh, to be able to act on their behalf. Um, they may be estranged from family. The family members may have different values, uh, different beliefs, 
than they do. So they would want to, again, be sure that their wishes are the ones that are going to be followed, uh, not the wishes of the person that will be acting for them. Okay. Well, that's that's great information. Now, what, what about uh, there are lots of different kinds of documents, it seems like. Um, so th- there's an advanced health care directive, a power of attorney. Uh, you know, uh, people talk about a living will. Could you could you talk a little bit about some of those and what the differences are? Well, the living will uh, was a document that was initiated or put into place by the Mississippi legislature back in the 1990s. And really, it's a term that everybody uses today, but really doesn't have any place. I I don't think anywhere in that statute that I cited uh, will you find the term living will. Uh, When I was, again, a new lawyer back in 1992, uh, I can remember doing living wills for people. It was, uh, again, a document that just basically said if I really reach the end of my life, if I have uh, a condition that is going to result in my death in a short time anyway, uh, don't put me on machines or don't keep me on machines uh, for a lengthy period of time. We used to file that document with the Mississippi Department of Health, but um, in 1998, that was when the legislature gave us the uh, superior document, the Advanced Healthcare Directive that we've been talking about so far this morning. And there's no provision for filing that document with the State Department of Health. In our practice, if the client requests it, we will file it with the Chantry Clerk's Office in the county where they reside but there's not a a legal requirement uh, that it be filed there. But it is a good idea to have it there. That way, if the original document gets lost, a certified copy uh, can be obtained from the Chantry Clerk's Office really for just a matter of a couple of dollars. So um, we, like I said, we do the Advanced Healthcare Directive, which is the document referred to in the statute. And then uh, again, under the federal HIPAA provisions, we also include a Uh, one-page HIPAA release where it says, I want these people that I'm giving authority to make decisions on my behalf. I also want them to be able to talk freely with my doctors and nurses, people that are involved in my case, uh, allow access to the medical records. uh, So that way they're really able to get the good information that they need to make the good decisions. This morning on In Legal Terms, we are talking about medical directives. We've got our host, Professor Richard Gershon, and our guest, Attorney Kelly Kyle. And he did mention he is a a friend of the show. If you'd like to hear more uh, pearls of wisdom, um, uh, more information from Kelly Kyle, a partner with Kyle Winn & Associates, we hope that you'll listen to our podcasts He was on November 26th of 2019 on revocable trusts. He spoke on March 5th, 2019 about wills and probate. And on March 27th, 2018, about avoiding probate. So, uh, Kelly, yes, the March seems to be about the time we usually have you on. Listeners, if you have a question, you can send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Well, you know, it, it, I'm so glad you talked about living wills because I've always I've been so happy when they changed the, the law to advanced health care directives, which do so much more than the living will did. And and living wills, conf- the, the term living will confused a lot of people because, it, you know, it's so different from a will that takes place and is effective when you die. 
So I'm really happy that we don't use that term anymore, but you, you still hear it out there. So thank you for, for, for clearing that up. And also, um, now, is it possible, though, for me to – you mentioned uh, uh, end of life, uh, and, and I, I, a lot of statutes say, you know, I'm not going to take measures to prolong the process of dying uh, and allow you to, to designate that. Can you designate the same kinds of uh, desires in an advanced health care directive that you used to be able to do in a living will? You can, uh, Professor Gershon. There's a uh, place in there, I believe it's Part 2, Paragraph 6. I know these documents pretty well, uh, but I believe Part 2, Paragraph 6 allows you to uh, really just check a box that says, uh, I would not want my life prolonged if uh, I have these certain circumstances. Number one, uh, a life-threatening condition that will end my life uh, in a short period of time. Uh, that's one of them. The other one is uh, if you, um, let me scroll down here to it, uh, un- you are unconscious and to a reasonable degree of medical certainty would not regain consciousness. That uh, goes back to that Terry Schiavo case that was in Florida several years ago uh, where there was a tremendous fight between uh, Ms. Schiavo's husband and her parents as to what her wishes uh, would have been. Would she have wanted to continue on in a persistent vegetative state, or would she just prefer to be allowed to die? Uh, the third circumstance is that the risks and burdens of treatment would outweigh any expected benefits. Those, so those are the ones where uh, you can choose the not-to-prolong-life option. Uh, box B on that section uh, says, I want my life to be prolonged as long as possible, within the limits of generally accepted health care standards. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, a hospital is going to uh, allow someone to be kept on life support truly indefinitely if there uh, is no hope of recovery. Uh, you know, if someone's had a, a major head injury or a, a massive stroke and, and there is no brain activity, they're not going to uh, just keep someone alive on a ventilator indefinitely. That's when that limit of the generally accepted health care standards uh, would come in right there. Well, we do want doctors ultimately making decisions uh, in those circumstances. I know uh, same with first responders. You know, they probably aren't going to look to see if you've got an advanced health care directive when, when, when they come get you in an ambulance. But, but um, now, who, who should I give? If I make an advanced health care directive, who should I give it to? Well, we always tell our clients when they come in to sign their documents, whether it's just a health care directive or whether it's part of a, a more all-inclusive estate plan, uh, we tell them that, number one, they should give it to the people that they have uh, listed in the document. If it's their uh, children, their spouse, whoever, they, they need to have a copy of that document available, either electronically uh, or in, in paper form. Uh, We also recommend giving a copy to uh, their primary physician. We recommend that they keep a copy and take it with them when they go into the hospital uh, for something routine. Uh, We give our clients specially labeled envelopes that are labeled in big black letters on the outside, Advanced Healthcare Directive. We advise them to carry them in the uh, glove compartment of their vehicles. We advise them to uh, keep them in their suitcase. 
in our firm for about the last six or eight years also we've been uh, giving most of our clients a free subscription to something called DocuBank and that is a card that they can carry in their wallet and I always suggest carrying it between their driver's license and their health insurance card that way if they're taken to the hospital suddenly you know ID needs to be found insurance information needs to be found so if they have it with those two other items, then the healthcare providers will find it. Uh, it's clearly labeled on the front of the card that this is a way of obtaining the healthcare directive. It also has contact information for the people that are listed in the directive. But just by going to the web address uh, that's on the front of the card or calling the 800 number that's there and using the member number and PIN, that's right on the front of the card. The, the people involved in the client's treatment can get a copy of the advanced directive. It's not just enough for them to know that one exists. We want them to be able to access it. And uh, with DocuBank, again, a, a service that we provide to our clients uh, free of charge, it works for them 24-7, 365, no matter where in the world they happen to be. Well, Kelly, you know, do all doctors honor advanced health care directives? Is that a conversation somebody should have with their primary physician to make sure that they're going to be honored? Well, if they stick within the, the limits uh, that are provided in the document, I've not ever been aware of a health care facility or an individual uh, physician refusing to honor it. Um, you know, it does say in the statutes that are part of this Uniform Healthcare Decisions Act, uh, the part that was enacted in Mississippi, it does say that this does not uh, provide for uh, assisted suicide. It does not provide for, you know, what, what they call a mercy killing or something like that. So um, it, it's all pretty much within the standard of these generally accepted healthcare guidelines. So uh, we've not ever had an instance that I personally am aware of, of it failing to be honored. But also in the statute, there are provisions that uh, it can be taken into uh, Mississippi Chantry Court to enforce it uh, if necessary. That's great. I wish, you know, I wish we had the full hour. So we're moving through things pretty quickly. And these are such important topics, each one of them. But could you talk a little bit about what, what a power of attorney is, and especially what a health care power of attorney is? Well, a power of attorney is a document that enables someone to make legal decisions for you. Um, a general power of attorney for business purposes would enable someone, uh, hopefully, to have access to uh, your financial assets, your bank accounts. We caution people about relying just on a power of attorney, though, because we're finding out that more and more banks today don't honor these powers of attorney. They all have their own reasons for doing that. I'm sure it probably goes back to the fact that uh, they may have been in an unfortunate situation where someone took advantage uh, of having a power of attorney. Maybe the bank ultimately was held responsible for um, handing over assets to that person. So in order to limit liability, the banks now just say, uh, we prefer not to honor powers of attorney or we'll only do so in a very limited circumstance. So you have two types of powers of attorney. You have that one we've just been talking about that uh, enables someone to handle business affairs for you. But then you also have the healthcare power of attorney, which is 
what we have been referring to uh, as an advanced directive. So it's just a way of giving the legal authority to your chosen person to make these decisions for you. Number one, whether it's in the healthcare arena, under the healthcare power of attorney, uh, or under business matters under a more general power of attorney. Now, an area that we will definitely not have time to cover completely, we'll have to have you back on uh, to do this, but special needs trusts, what, what are those and how can they help someone if they become disabled? Well, a special needs trust in the context that we normally use it in in estate planning is to be able to provide an inheritance for um, someone who might be under uh, a severe uh, physical or mental disability, probably in a situation of not being able to earn a living for themselves and probably being someone that might be uh, qualified for some type of, of financial benefit from uh, the state or federal government, something like SSI, uh, Supplemental Security Income, or Medicaid. Those are two programs that are means-tested. Uh, that means that if a person has assets really of uh, not very substantial amounts, they would probably be otherwise disqualified from those benefits. So by using a special needs trust, uh, you can provide an inheritance for that disabled beneficiary and allow your trustee to supplement the benefits that they're already receiving. Uh, but it doesn't disqualify them from those benefits. So, uh, you know, if you have a uh, child that is in uh, a facility and receiving, like we said, these types of benefits, but you want them uh, to be able to enjoy uh, a, a trip, if you want to be able to provide them, uh, you know, with just the little niceties, then the special needs trust uh, would be a great way of doing that. And again, protect their entitlement to the benefits that they depend upon. And, and so a lot of estate planning really does deal with uh, what happens before death as much as what happens after death. It absolutely does. We say there are much greater financial risks to your family, to your accumulated wealth, if you become incapacitated for a long period of time than if you just pass away outright. Thank you, Kelly Kyle from Kyle Wynn from, and Associates from being our guest today. We appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much, Liz and Professor Gershon. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. We thank Jay White for being our board engineer. For Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. We hope you listen to our podcast inlegalterms.mpbonline.org is also the website and join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. 
Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 